Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the TF Podcast, where we talk about technology, finance, and that usually revolves around Bitcoin, uh, crypto, and blockchain. Uh, make sure that you are subscribed to our channels and uh, you are uh, subscribed to the YouTube. And with that, I'm really excited to welcome uh, my next guest, uh, Corey Clipton. He's with Swan Bitcoin. Uh, and when we hear that in the name, I have something to Think that it has uh, been pretty interesting over these uh, last couple days, um, but I'm really excited. We were talking. You you, you reached out to me on um, on LinkedIn, and I was like, "Hey, I actually am very familiar with Swan. I'd, I'd love to have you on the show." So um, let, let's get right at it. Uh, if you could introduce yourself, I'd appreciate that. Nice. Well, <laughs> well, thanks, Jonathan. It's it's it was great to discover you in the podcast and. Uh, haven't been doing a lot of LinkedIn because Bitcoin just kind of lives on Twitter. Yeah. But uh, I think it's important, you know, now that we, we launched about a month ago and, you know, trying to spend a little time on Reddit. Uh, our CTO is spending a lot of time on TikTok, which is hilarious because he's like 40 with two kids and he's just becoming this TikTok star. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to like get back on LinkedIn a little bit more. Um, so yeah, <laughs> well, it's good. That is funny that you said that too, right? Because you're, you're right in that uh, the difference between LinkedIn and Twitter and the way I... Uh, I don't know, I guess my messaging on LinkedIn versus Twitter is always, you know, slightly different. Um, I might be a little bit more brash or straight to the point on Twitter where I might be more, I don't know, uh, softer, I guess, on LinkedIn. But my post actually was about Bitcoin, right? Like on that post in particular, I think I said, uh, I think it was something like, hey, things you need to know. <laughs> uh, Bitcoin went up this much uh, since the other day and like the halving's coming and like you just need to pay attention. So yeah. Uh, it is funny. I, I, I did some Bitcoin posts uh, last year on LinkedIn, like three or four over the course of a month. I was always doing uh, like just videos, just kind of talking about Bitcoin and letting people yeah. up. And I mean, they just absolutely blow away anything else that I used to post about venture capital or startups or anything like that. So, you know, there's a lot of interest out there and the algorithm picks it up and, you know, the Bitcoin stuff does well on LinkedIn. Yeah. But, uh, but the quality of engagement is just so low. So it's like you're only giving value on LinkedIn versus on Twitter, like you're giving and receiving. Yeah. It, although it's been pretty interesting because that post generated for me, uh, maybe like six or seven people that reached out to me independently mm. about that. They're like, hey, I saw your link about uh, or your, your post about um Bitcoin. Um, what is this having thing? Like, why would they do that? <laughs> this guy, he was like, why would they? I was like, I know, crazy, right? It was designed that way from the beginning. He's like, what? And then That's awesome. we were talking about supply and he just, his mind was blown, but in a good way, right? So I was yeah. like, and I was like, hey, just, just, I, I told him, I go, look, grab a hundred dollars because I know you have it and just buy some Bitcoin and just watch it go up and down a little bit over the next couple of days. Yeah. And I guarantee you'll start wanting to investigate it a little bit more. And he's like, all right, I'll do yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the, the best investment you can make in Bitcoin is your education. The second best money is, is the little bit of money that you put in to force yourself to learn about it. <laughs> totally. Well, and it's interesting too, right? Because there's, um, you know, there, I, I said this the other day for me, um, the, you know, I've always thought of Bitcoin as price in dollars and sure it is price in dollars, of course, but I had to sell a little bit of Bitcoin um, and I felt the sell in the Bitcoin. I was like, oh, I, I sold, you know, this percentage of, of the Bitcoin instead of normally the way my mind would think in the past was like, oh, I sold this many dollar volume. Right. Mm. And so for me, that was a really interesting moment to be like, oh, wow. Like I've never felt that way before. Like, Okay, like yeah, I, I uh, 
I, and, and it's not like that my opinion of Bitcoin had changed before I thought that or not. It's just that like, I don't know, it was just a, a kind of a wake up epiphany for me. You spend a little bit of time hodling, as they say, holding on to some Bitcoin and, yeah. uh, and your number, you know, at least to two or three decimal points becomes ingrained in your mind. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what it was, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, I hadn't, I hadn't done that. I hadn't sold it. And then I finally do. And I'm like, oh, fuck, why did I do that? <laughs> I, I could say it's, I could say it's some kind of like, you know, cool mystical type thing, but probably it's just, you know, checking Delta or Blockfolio app a lot and always <laughs> seeing your number there. Right. And, and not wanting to see that number go down, always wanting to see it go up. Totally. Totally. Uh, so Corey, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you, you know, how did you, you've, um, you've actually, let's start before you, you're a Seattle person, just like me. I'm in Seattle. Yeah. Um, grew up yeah, in the area. We found out not too far away from each other, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I, uh, I grew up in Seattle and, uh, went to Shorewood high up on the North side parents still live in Edmonds and brother's still running around. Go hit up the giddy up. They're still serving in the, <laughs> at the times of the, the Rona or the whatever. Um, down in Fremont. So uh, hit that up. And um, yeah, really uh, enjoy Seattle. I still, if you go to swanbitcoin.com, you'll notice the uh, the colors might look a little bit familiar. It's because the starting palette was the Seahawks colors. That's awesome. That's <laughs> so this, awesome. this swan behind me here is a, a very dark, rich uh, navy blue. That I love look it. Kind of familiar. Yeah. Our designer may have tweaked things just a little bit, but yeah, I basically started with, you know, the gray and the blue and everything. I was like, like they probably studied color palettes and what looks good together, like better than we can with a team of four. Yeah. Um, so why don't we just do that? Nice. Nice. Um, so how did you kind of get involved with, you know, I, you know, finance and, you know, I know you've been yeah. doing stuff with like venture capital and things like sure. that throughout. I love just, just start there. And then where did the evolution to Bitcoin come in? Yeah, so uh, just real quick run through, uh, started my career with Microsoft uh, uh, out in New York after interning in Seattle and Redmond. And um, basically out in New York, I just started to see all the money flowing around and was kind of curious like how that works because I was, you know, Seattle's very like arts and science and I went to journalism for undergrad and I didn't hear the term investment banker till the year 2000 or something like that. So I got it in my head that I'd eventually go to business school and, you know, yeah. learn this whole business thing. Uh, I got a job with Morgan Stanley, which was supposed to be a two or three year lead in to really understand finance and economics, like heading into business school, uh, happened to work in tower two on nine 11 building oh, wow. fell down, uh, totally fine. Even my whole department was fine, but the, the long story short was I decided to go to business school like as soon as possible. Cause I just didn't want to like work there anymore or get another job. Yeah. Um, so Scary. I went to, you know, I had just always been in, you know, like, I went through the dot-com bubble on the tech side of things. So I was trying to find like, okay, what's the most solid background that you could get? University of Chicago was just known for being really hardcore, you know, stats and finance and econ. And I went to University of Chicago, did an MBA in finance and entrepreneurship there. And then uh, went to work for McKinsey and Company, the management consulting firm out in New York Yeah. Um, afterward. And uh, so kind of my goal there was like, okay, if the dot-com thing was, you know, not real, let's go try to find like what the real economy is all about. So management consulting and then private equity, lo and behold, you know, private equity and, and all these old line companies start blowing up in 08. And I'm like, wait a minute. So the, like the real economy was BS too. That's messed up. So, <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. a crazy epiphany, right? Like you're, yeah. yeah, you're like, Oh, okay. I understand why this, you know, this tech thing might be fake, but yeah, let's go to the historical stuff. And they're like, well, wait a second. This is built on a dream as well. Yeah. So that was pretty wild. Um, and then, uh, 
so the, the, the idea that I had at the time was, you know, basically if you can work at a small company where you control your fate a lot more, at least you wouldn't be kind of at the whims of the market or whatever. And so I, I just had a lot of friends that had stuck it out from the dot-com boom um, and, and stuck with it through the down and then back in the up and they were doing really well in tech and selling companies and stuff. So I kind of felt like I could get into startups. Mm -hmm. um, I took a job with Google for a couple of years, kind of like internet business school for 11 to 13 just to kind of get the lay of the land. I networked like a beast, probably met 1500 VCs and founders over a couple of years. People are pretty quick to respond to an email from a Google address. So, right. um, so that helped a lot. And then uh, moved out to California early 13 uh, with Google and left that summer to work in startups. And I've basically done angel investing, advising of CEOs on strategy and fundraising. I've been raising money for things since like 2004. Um, and then, uh, if I saw something that looked really cool, I would operate and jump in on the team. So I was part of an ad tech founding team for a couple of years, like 13 to 15. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I got hit upside the head by Bitcoin, uh, three years ago, May of 17 after some fits and starts, like somebody gave me some Bitcoin in January of 14 and it just didn't take, I didn't do anything with it and lost the key. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it took, it took because, you know, the, the price mania and everybody like quitting jobs to go work at ICOs or whatever. Um, that's when I started my research and I bought some Bitcoin that, that spring and summer of 17 and just started to pay attention, you know, very similar path to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, from there, I would say the, the transition was fairly quick. It was probably by, I think I was all crypto by like January of 18. So I started switching over my professional activities. Um, I came at it from the view of a lot of, uh, you know, startup and VC types, you know, thinking like, Hey, if there's this Bitcoin thing, that might be my space. Maybe Facebook is around the corner. Yeah. Um, and so it took me about a year to do, uh, the horseshoe, uh, as they say, the, the altcoin horseshoe, if you're being generous, um, <laughs> where you go looking for that Facebook and trying to see like what else might be out there. And then you come back around to Bitcoin in many cases, that was certainly the case for me. So by the time uh, it's, it's funny, it's funny that you say that because a lot of, yeah, I, I've, you know, definitely talked to a lot of people like that. Um, you know, for me, um, you know, people know that I'm very bullish on Bitcoin and like, that's like kind of my chosen. What I always say is, you know, for it's, for me, it's, it's Bitcoin and then the blockchain that doesn't exist yet. And then, you know, some other things, cause I, I, I really am bullish on blockchain as a technology. I just don't think in the hypothetical though. And so I'm, I'm not necessarily in like the right now for it, but yeah. it's been so clear with Bitcoin every single time something has tried to quote unquote, knock it down, kill it, um, be the, the replacement. It just makes it stronger. You know, it's like, yeah. uh, it's, it's like that, that meme of like, I'm getting stronger. Like it's, it's yeah. so anyway, I mean, I, I'm, I'm more bullish on uh, blockchain, if you want to call it that as an industry than as a technology technology has been sure. around about 40 years and it's just a slow, expensive database that should never really be used for anything other than a new government free global money. Yeah. But when you throw a lot of money and smart people at something, you know, oftentimes good things happen. So, you know, you take figure, which is doing, you know, digitized super fast HELOCs, you know, they raised money from a bunch of blockchain funds, you know, take, take a good idea and sprinkle some blockchain on it. They're yeah. not talking about blockchain. They didn't need a blockchain for totally. it, totally. But, but they raised at an egregious valuation from a bunch of dumb money blockchain funds. 
and they're killing it. You know, they're like the number two or three issue of HELOCs in like two years of operations. It's crazy. insane because yeah. they are really smart people attacking an old line business. Yeah. Um, and it's it like kind of to go with your what your point is that you're they're digitizing an old process, mm -hmm. right? Like that's been yeah, super. I mean, you know, blockchain yeah. is just IT at this point. Yeah. It's like it's a good reason to be able to get a meeting with you know the head of innovation at some company or get people to yeah. come to a meeting at the same time and hang sure. out at Davos or whatever. Right. Like if you if you have to rely on the on the um, on the right function the writing function for blockchain, like good luck. If it's on the read function, okay. Like I can, mm -hmm. I, I can kind of understand that. But if you're really focusing on like the writing function, it's like, wait a second, come on now. Yeah. But yeah, anyways, sorry. So yeah. no, I so interrupted, here's, so go here's ahead. the funny twist. So when I, when I reached my view that basically I didn't really care about anything else and it wasn't even like a moral judgment or anything. At that point, I was now sitting in a seat as president and chief investment officer of one of the biggest crypto funds. So I didn't I didn't catch that. Well, yeah. I didn't realize that. That's so hilarious. Was, well, yeah, I was running DNA fund for uh, Brock okay. Pierce and Scott Walker. Yep. Um, yep. You know the EOS guys. Yeah. And, uh, and all their other you know new ICO ideas and you know new crypto funds and all this yeah. kind of stuff. What happened? So, is DNA fund still going? By the way. No DNA. I don't know when they officially wrapped up, but most of the team went over to Wave Financial, which is Dave Seamer and Ben Sai, Ben who I hired at. Um, actually, a lot of that team is people I hired at DNA. Oh, yeah. um interestingly dave was actually in my class at university of chicago oh really a super small world that's cool um and then uh the rest of them are at like adaptive holdings or something like that i got don't it, know got what it. they're doing but um or just spread out and did other things yeah uh, real quick though so how did you how did you get into that uh where all of a sudden you were you're I mean, I, I was in LA, so it was like, I, I was, I was super interested in like Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, like whatever this thing was. And there was sure. all this like money. It was just like clearly a lot yeah. of heat drawing, talented people, super shady people too. I mean, the, right. the overlap with like cannabis and scam artists and people that had, you know, a lot of dudes that are in their fifties and got divorced and hiding money and going to Puerto Rico <laughs> and you know, whatever it is, like it's definitely it all of that weird wild west stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but it was clear that, you know, Bitcoin at least was real. Yep. And, you know, I sorted through all of that, you know, drinking from a fire hose and taking pitches from every one of these, you know, ICOs, whether they were like legit, semi-legit, total scams, whatever, like you kind of saw everything in that seat. Yep. And it was, you know, the benefit of not having to spend a lot of time making my judgment because I just, I had all the information and all the conversations that I wanted at my fingertips. Right. So I, I could, you know, in four months, because I started hanging out around DNA in like November, um, you know, within four months, I was pretty much dead set that I was going to be working in Bitcoin, nothing else. Totally. It's, it's, yeah, I, I love it, man. I, I, so I actually got in the space right around the same time. So it was early 2017. Um, and like, I had kind of like you, I'd paid attention to it and just didn't really pay it as much attention as I wish I would have, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? Um, but yeah, it's, I remember when I was, and even when, when, you know, Bitcoin was down at 3000, it was like, oh, are you going to get out of the space now? I was like, no, like, it, like, not at all, not at all. So anyway. Yeah. So, so, okay. So, so that's kind of how you kind of got on, on that side. And then yeah. where, where did Swan uh, Bitcoin come up? Um, when did you start? thinking through that yeah so i i went so I, I fully extricated myself from dna by the end of august uh and i had started working on something i was calling then uh, the bitcoin ecosystem fund 
um, was initially trying to do that under the DNA umbrella, but it really just didn't make sense because they were so known for, you know, EOS, EOS and tokens yeah. and stuff. Um, so I kind of just hip pocketed that. Uh, I went to uh, Istanbul for the whole month of September and I got back basically just pinging, you know, friends and saying like, how could I just like, I just want to sell Bitcoin. Like all I want to do is just talk about Bitcoin and, and sell Bitcoin. Yeah. And like, what are the ways that you can do that? And I, I first started looking at uh, doing a, like a closed end fund and selling to institutional, you know, essentially like an end run around having to get an ETF approved and just get on some pink sheets and kind of essentially a competitor to grayscale basically. Yeah. Um, but when it came time to actually do that, because uh, it looked like we were going to get approved, and I think it eventually did. I, I realized the only value I was going to add was probably selling the thing, which would mean going and talking to institutions, you know, up and down Wall Street or something, and just how uninteresting that is for me, and just uh, what a horrible fit that would be for my life, enjoying being home in the sun in LA and having young kids, and yeah. I just didn't want to do that at all. Um, so I was just back, you know, doing the usual like consulting and angel investing, strategy advising and helping, you know, SaaS and marketplace and, you know, ad tech companies raise funds and stuff like that. But spending all of my time, you know, 40, 50 hours a week on the side, learning about Bitcoin, networking with Bitcoiners, getting to know people, trying to add value, trying to add clients that were actually in, in the Bitcoin space got a couple of them, started to get my kind of sea legs and start to see opportunities. And um, so, yeah, as, as 2019 started to gather steam, it was uh, April of last year that I had the idea for the first product of the company, which is givebitcoin.io, which is basically the best way to onboard a new coiner. Like, mm. so friends, family, somebody at work or whatever, you want to get them into Bitcoin. You already noted that one of the best ways to get somebody to care is to uh, get them to own a little bit. So yeah. basically you bundle the gift of a little bit of Bitcoin with a Bitcoin education that we essentially, we have a book called the gift of Bitcoin, which is like the perfect introduction to Bitcoin for somebody that hasn't had it before. Yeah. And they get the book or they, they also get an email every month. So the, the next 12 months, they're going to get a, a chapter of the gift of Bitcoin delivered by email. And the trick of it is they, uh, the Bitcoin that you've given them is escrowed so they can't touch it. So it's sitting yeah. there in a custodial account for them with Prime Trust, which is a big custodian that does all right. the custody for Binance and Bittrex and OKX and all these guys. Um, and then after a year, they've at least had a good opportunity to get up to speed on Bitcoin and then they take possession of their Bitcoin and hopefully make good decisions. Yeah, that's super interesting. I love it. I, I like the fact that it's it's held there for a year you know, for in that context. Right. And then they, they yeah. can always buy more if they want to or of whatever. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And so you noted, so you noted they could buy more. So initially we designed that product with a buy button and, uh, and realized, Oh wait, people are actually like hitting buy and, and actually giving Bitcoin to themselves. Like, why is there a market here? Like shouldn't Coinbase have this locked up? Yeah. And basically what happened is because all the people involved in our company were hardcore Bitcoiners and were like, you know, famous authors like Safety and the Moose or Matt O'Dell from Tales from the Crypt or Stefan Levera from the Stefan Levera podcast. And, you know, all these people that were like hardcore Bitcoiners were owners of the company. Yeah. Um, you know, in our, 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 we actually had a recurring purchase function as well. And it turned out that our fees on that buy button were way, way lower than Coinbase and Gemini um, for a recurring purchase. And so basically by probably by like, even before we launched, I'd say like by like July, August, September of last year, 
kind of knew I wanted to strip that out at some point and make it a its own product mm-hmm. and just go head to head with Coinbase. Um, and finally made that decision to do that in December. We turned off the buy button inside Give Bitcoin and started designing what became Swan in December. So- in Swan, so you only trade Bitcoin. You you can't do other currencies. We don't we don't trade. There's no trading. Oh, you can't just, sell. Got it. Purchase only. You purchase only, and then you yeah. is it does it have a wallet function in there as well? No, or, no. So you either uh, so first of all, the only thing you can do on Swan is sign up for a recurring purchase plan. Okay. So so you put it, and then you you eighty five percent of people choose weekly. Cause that's yeah. the most frequent, which makes the most sense. That's the best way to dollar cost average. So let's just say almost everybody is signing up to do a weekly purchase of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, the average purchase is a little over a hundred bucks a week. Got it. So people are, you know, basically putting in, you know, a hundred bucks a week in the Bitcoin. And then what they put out, they put a wallet address in there to have it go to. Yeah. So two things. So you can either leave it custody with us for free, which is again with prime trust fireblocks on the back end. Or you can set it up for manual withdrawal, which is you initiate the withdrawal for free. Or you can set it up for auto withdrawal, which is every time you have a purchase, it automatically withdraws to your address. Yeah, awesome. I love it. I love it. So what's let's 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 just let's go. What it what is dollar cost averaging for someone that might not be familiar with that term? Yeah, sure. It just basically means the the dollars that you're putting into the investment or the asset or the purchase are the same always. So it's basically saying like, hey. I'm going to buy this dollar amount of an asset every day, every week, every month, every year, regardless of the price of the asset. So basically if Bitcoin is, is 5,000 bucks and you're, you know, you're buying a thousand bucks this month, you're going to get, you know, 0.2 of a Bitcoin. If it's 10,000 bucks next month and you're still putting in that five, that thousand bucks, you're going to get 0.1 Bitcoin. Right. Cool. It basically helps you buy more when the price is low and buy less when the price is high. So right. And it really is a smart way to buy. For sure. And like a tool. Um it's yeah, if you're if you're committed to Bitcoin in the long term as part yeah. of your, you know, like why not? And the, as opposed to trying to figure out the best time to time the market, also. Yeah. Um, you know, I joke that my my investment strategy is to to buy high, sell low, but um, that, that's what it used to be. But now it says buy buy whenever. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the thing. Like, there've been a lot of studies across lots of markets, and basically, unless you really know a lot about the specific thing that you're investing in, ninety six percent of people buy high and sell low. Oh, and all the money is made by four percent of people. So what I say is like, okay, so you've discovered this Bitcoin thing or this cryptocurrency thing. Were you a paid compensated professional trader before you got interested in this? Yeah. If the answer is yes, by all means, unleash <laughs> thy sure, skills and sure. experience on this and trade. If yeah. you weren't a trader before you got into this, don't be a trader. Like it's yeah. stupid. You're not trying to trade all day in stocks because you just get crushed. Like yeah. just buy and hold like you do with everything else. Right. We very much see this as like, you know, the third bucket alongside your retirement savings, 401k or your mortgage. And it's, you know, basically for 99% of people, the only way we Americans in particular with our consumption culture and like overextended credit, the only way that we're able to accrue a good bit of value in an asset is if it's a one-time decision and it's done automatically for you. Yeah. So as a product, you know, if you want to have the best way to buy Bitcoin for 99% of people, it has to be an automatic pull from the bank account that you don't have to reenact over and over again. Like you set it and forget it and it's always on forever. And then 
has to be an automatic purchase of the Bitcoin. So you just don't have to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Um, yeah, no, I, I love it, man. That's great. Well, congrats on doing that. Uh, I'm excited to see what you guys are able to do with it. And it, it's the value prop super clear. So my background's in product management. And what I always say is like, you know, there has to be a case for the use of the product. And um, we're actually, well, well, I'll have to talk to you about this offline, but I'm putting together, um, I don't know, call it a, a, a course slash session on productizing Bitcoin. And so it's basically, we're going to be talking with different companies who have done what you're doing. You're productizing Bitcoin overall, as opposed to, you know, other things. Um, so I'd love to just kind of talk about what's been happening in the markets overall, uh, you know, starting with, uh, call it Black Thursday or whatever people have been saying, right? So, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. So, you know, everything dumps, right? And uh, we go from about 10,000 Bitcoin all the way to 3,800, and then it hovered around 5,000 for a little bit. Um, you know, from your kind of investment background and what you've seen, what are what are the things that you think caused that overall uh, to drop in that in that way? Yeah. So, I mean, mind Bitcoin, you, the, the the whole market dropped, of course, right? Like the stock market, yeah, everything sure. dumped. So, but but Bitcoin dumped a lot, and I yeah. think uh, and it snapped back very quickly too. So. Um, it is important to remember that we're hovering around 9,000 today, exactly, uh, which is about where we were, you know, yeah. even a few weeks before that, which is great. Um, so basically, Bitcoin is is super liquid. Uh, anybody can trade it anywhere, pretty much, you know, at all times. And when you are a fund or a trader and you're getting margin calls because your S&P positions or whatever other position that you have on uh, is getting margin called, you're going to sell you know, whatever isn't nailed down. Mm -hmm. um, so especially when you got into like after market situations, which, you know, that, that happened late into the night on the night of March 12th, I was in this room as it happened and it was, <laughs> it was pretty brutal. I was trying to be margin calls myself, but, um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you, you just had a situation where, you know, probably the, the natural place for it to settle out was probably in the low fives or the, or the high fours or whatever. But, you know, yeah. if you've done some reading up on it, there was a situation with the trading engine and the execution algorithms at BitMEX, which is one of the bigger exchanges for, uh, for leveraged futures. And uh, essentially, they just had cascading liquidations uh, with nobody on the bid. Um, so there was just like nobody to pick that up. And the only thing that stopped that from just continuing to go was a, uh, a very fortuitous uh, outage <laughs> in their system. Oh, you know, Arthur, the CEO probably just pulled the plug is what most people think. Um, and that let it just give it a breather to, you know, basically like snap back up to 5k. Yeah. And, and it, it didn't drop as low on most other exchanges around the world. You know, the low forest was kind of the bottom. But yeah, as you noted, you know, by the morning, it was back at 5k. And yeah, you know, just kind of like worked its way back up. And now we're in sort of reasonable territory. Yeah, it's been really interesting, right? Because there's been so much volatility in the markets. And, you know, for the most part, the stock market has been going, um, you know, steadily up. I think today it dumped a little bit, but I haven't checked in a while. Um, but uh, while the market was the stock market was fluctuating, you know, up and down a couple thousand, Bitcoin was actually just hovering around 6,000 and it kind of went through this like 6,800 to 7,200 for a, I don't know, call it a couple of weeks um, yeah. while there was so much fluctuation everywhere else. So I found that super fascinating, right? It's like we, we talk about how volatile Bitcoin is when in fact it was maintaining its stability much stronger um, 
than the other and at that same time oil dumped right and so listen you know, man it's all noise it's yeah. all noise like bitcoin bitcoin supposed correlations in the short term you know is just trading driven and yeah. it's just you know algo driven or whatever but when you zoom out there's nothing you can do nothing markets can do there's nothing the fed can do there's nothing that you know s p traders can do there's nothing that you know renaissance deciding that they want to start trading bitcoin there's nothing they can do to stop bitcoin from doing what it's going to do yeah which is probably just going to increase in price as more people get educated and decide that they want to buy some and hold some right i mean the per, you, you uh do, do you know this i i always forget what the percentage of people that own bitcoin right now it's something it's you know single digit percentages isn't it it's super low and yeah yeah i mean my it's, my calculation is based on like um like a meaning something you might care about and and basically the number is uh the number of people that own a hundred dollars us dollars worth of bitcoin or more globally is about mm. seven million Crazy. so it's 0.1 percent so go buy a hundred dollars of bitcoin and you're in the 99.9 percentile that's crazy that's so crazy <laughs> to think about right like yeah um yeah so <laughs> and yes it's like the whole stacking sats thing right and so like it's when when you uh you know you, you have like you mentioned um like fold or some of these companies where you can get um you know like this kind of like cash back type things and things like that and there's all yeah. these interesting uh tools out there so you know we, we've been climbing up now and we're about call it you know 10 days to the having or no 11 because it's around the 11th um have you seen like an uptick with with your business and like with people buying you know, i guess gifting it more right now or you are or even outside of that yeah so i mean I'm, i haven't been in the in the give dashboard in a long time i don't really pay that much attention to it it's a nice utility but all our yeah. focus is on swan and Got that's it. where you see all our activity um and again, I, it would be hard to uh, not be just fooled by randomness because it's growing so fast anyway, since we just yeah. launched, you know, we launched to the public on March 30th. Um, so it's hard to say. I do think that it's, uh, I do think there's been some increased activity. Um, our numbers have been fantastic the last few days, um, yeah. but uh, I think that was going to happen anyway. Sure, sure. So I don't know. Yeah. I think it's... Uh, I think it's going to be bananas for anybody in the Bitcoin business over the next couple of years. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, so, you know, being that you have, you worked at McKinsey and spent some time there and you've been at Google, big companies. Um, I'd love your thoughts and outlook on what does it take for businesses to really start embracing Bitcoin at, at every level, right? So from the level, let's just start the conversation on what do you think it takes for businesses to accept Bitcoin as payment? And sure, there's like certain places that do, but for the most part, it's usually like in a credit card type fashion. So it's more from the um, uh, managed, or sorry, um, merchant processing. So they don't care because they get it in um, dollars, right? So, mm -hmm. um, but what do you think it takes for companies to start saying like, yo, you need to pay me in Bitcoin. I want Bitcoin uh, overall. I mean, I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like for what end? Well, I, I guess like I just if, mean, if you're a business who wants to get paid in Bitcoin, yeah. like you only accept Bitcoin. So you get like, you know, guns and Bitcoin down in Orange County, like Ragnar, like just loves earning Bitcoin. He's obsessed with earning Bitcoin. Totally. So he only accepts Bitcoin. And if you want to pay him in fiat, you got to like go use that fiat to buy some Bitcoin and send it to him. Right, right. Like yeah, it's basically when the, to him, but it's when a, it's the a merchant, merchant choice. Yeah. 
Yeah, like when the merchant demands it or when their um when their customers demand or sorry, their whoever they have to pay demand it so they need it overall. But that wouldn't matter either. You would still just, you know, probably accept fiat for the most part and just like buy Bitcoin if you had to pay somebody in it. Yeah. Like we're so far away from a Bitcoin circular economy. Yeah. You know, and this is where, you know, some people who really want to push, you know, bit Bitcoin as a payments technology or whatever, like that that meme or that that goal you know, it was something that got hot in 2013, 2014, 15. And it was a way for a lot of people that got into Bitcoin to, you know, ride out the winter, you mm -hmm. know, trying to push these venture backed payments businesses or whatever. And they got out over their skis and ended up being on the wrong side of history in 2017 with the New York agreement and Segwit2x and all those things, which is, mm -hmm. you know, what caused the split to Bcash and all these other things. Oh, careful. And don't call don't call it Bcash. I'm just kidding. Why? <laughs> Have you, yeah, have you ever seen that video? Is. No, I, I know. Have yeah, you seen that video? No. Of course. Yeah. I'm good friends. I'm good friends with John, the guy who got flipped off. I was, I was, I was doing it. Yeah. I'm joking. Um, he's got a cool company starting now too, by the way. He, uh, he recently left. John Carvalho is the guy that got flicked off on his podcast uh, by Roger Gare after accidentally calling it Bcash like 16 times. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's, he's actually started a company. Um, with Bitfinex and is doing something, you know, sort of in that kind of like fold bit refill strike kind of like lightning, basically like a lightning payments type startup. Got it. Um, so yeah, where were we? Um, yeah, I just think that, uh, you know, Bitcoin as an asset class and as a money needs to have a much, 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 much higher number of users, people yeah. that own it and actually have some value in it and a much higher market cap both of those things for it to even matter to talk about a Bitcoin circular economy. This is yeah. something we'll probably be talking about after the next cycle, not this one, the one after. So yeah. to me, it's probably like a 2026, 20, 27 story. That's hmm. fair. That's fair. That doesn't uh, mean that you shouldn't be working on these things. And there are lots of edge cases that are very important to people, especially outside of places like the U S so, you know, Bitcoin payments is super important when your local currency is broken. Right. 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 So like there's, huge reasons important reasons to be working on lightning and anything other sort of like bitcoin payment circular economy related in other countries but that's not broken here in the u.s yeah 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 you're right like on on regards to kind of developing nations or you know nations under democratic authority or sorry uh dictatorship uh authoritative uh governments and so forth no, it's interesting. I, I think it's a little bit sooner than that, but I totally agree with what you're saying there when, when it's like, it's, yeah, it's about, uh, really, it's just a band. It's just, frankly, it's just a man. Like when, when the merchant cares to say like, yeah, I want this in this form. Um, yeah. you know, I, I see w people have been talking about this a little bit too. So there's all these stable coins coming out and then, um, you know, some banks are at, for the most part, aren't, I don't think they're afraid of Bitcoin by any means. I think it's more like they just don't get margin on it. Um, it's not part of the business model, right? Uh, you know, kind of in your investment banking and just banking and, and thought, what are your what are your thoughts overall with with banks getting into Bitcoin? Is do you think that happens? Is it is it strictly just again a business play? Once they make margin, then they get in. To be very clear, I was in marketing at Morgan Stanley oh, okay. selling their, their <laughs> crappy white labeled mutual funds to high net worth individuals and stuff like that. So I've never actually been a banker. Okay, um, okay. It's very important to say that in Bitcoin circles. Um, but uh, no, I mean, my take on it is uh, I think that 
the wealth management industry very much wants to have Bitcoin available to their clients and they want to be able to compensate to be compensated on helping people come to that decision and helping them to, you know, sort of own that asset in the mm -hmm. same way that they are stocks, bonds, you know, real estate, anything else. Um, so I think that would be, that's something that we're focused on actually as a, as a next step. We had, we just added uh, Andrew Edstrom, uh, who's uh, one of the partners at Westcap and the author of Why Buy Bitcoin, also a former Goldman guy, hmm. um, as our head of institutional. So Andy and I are figuring out how to make Bitcoin available for the clients of RIAs and financial advisors around the country. Um, so that's kind of our next step there. Um, we're also working on launching an IRA just for retail to be able to do tax advantaged uh, purchase and stacking of Bitcoin um, through the Swan platform into their IRA account. Um, so I think that'll be important. As far as the banks, you know, so far the the main activity that most of them involved in is just uh, is trading and uh, and then like special opportunities groups or funds inside of them, um, mostly in mining. So they'll like finance large yeah. mining products or things like. Yeah, like Fidelity's yeah, doing but that. But it's always through some kind of like special side pocket institutional. Fidelity's doing some stuff. Um, Blackstone has some interesting things they've been doing with uh, their tech ops fund, stuff like that. Totally, totally. Nice. Well, um, you know, before we wrap up, what what are your, what are kind of the things that you're excited about that's happening on uh, coming on the horizon, just in the space, um, just in general? What are you looking forward to? Uh, I mean, I, I'm just kind of, yeah, I mean, Swan, like I, <laughs> we're, I don't know, we're about six acts ahead of pace as far as like how I modeled the month of April, our first full month. Um, so we're doing about six times better than what I thought, which is a great start. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I'm just kind of, you know, personally interested to have a front row seat to, to a bull run that I see the beginning of because yeah. I wasn't following it in 2016. Um, you know, I caught it, you know, near, near the beginning of the blow off top essentially. So, you know, what did it look like yeah. going from like 180 bucks to three grand? I missed that last time. I caught it from like three grand to 20, but the 180 to three grand, that's a, that's a pretty good ramp too. Totally. Totally. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, and then there's something else I'll just uh, mention, which is um, I also recently started a, uh, a venture fund called Bitcoin Ventures, which was dusting off the old plan from uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem fund. And so it's called Bitcoin Ventures. The partners are myself, uh, Stefan Lavera, who has the Stefan Lavera podcast, which yeah. is very big on like macro and Austrian economics and probably your listeners yeah, it's a, probably listen to him too. It's a great cast. Yeah. Yeah. So he's fantastic. And then um, Jan Pritzker, who's the author of Inventing Bitcoin and my co-founder on Swan. Um, so the three of us and also a guy named Lewis Liu, who used to work at Block Tower, but then became a Bitcoin maximalist and didn't want to work at a altcoin fund anymore. Yeah. Um, so the four of us look at Bitcoin deals. Um, so far, just started with an Angelist syndicate. So you can go to uh, BitcoinAdventures.com, sign up for the Angelist syndicate. We uh, actually just uh, finished funding our first deal and uh, we met our allocation for that. So there's a lot of Bitcoiners out there around the world that were interested to invest in our first deal and we'll roll out our second one here in the next month or so nice and how um how early or what's kind of like the makeup for the company that you're looking to make investments in like stage um, and so C, forth seed seed and a seed and a seed and a basically the the stage where you know us contributing like 100 to 300 grand is meaningful yeah yeah nice nice so yeah so ideally like some some level of product 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and also, you know, like you're talking about you know, glorified crowdfunding. Yes, it's accredited people, but you're trying to like slap together a lot of like one and five and 10 and 20K checks to meet a larger number. Yeah. So, you know, we definitely optimize for brand value as well. So like the founding team of the company that we uh, just are cutting this check into is like really well known and does a lot of, you know, education, just Bitcoin media and they're kind of out and about and it's easy to easy for people to want to get on board with that. So kind of at the intersection of like awesome prospects and, uh, totally. you know, a known company. Right. And they obviously have to be Bitcoin focused. Yeah. <laughs> no, no alt, no nothing like that. That's yeah. right. Bitcoin. Yeah. I dig it. I dig it. That's awesome. All right. Last question for you. We're both from Seattle. We're around the same age. The Sonics lost the Seattle Supersonics lost to the Denver Nuggets in the first round in 93 92 two or three i think it was 93 yeah 93 makes sense yeah yeah um so they lost to the denver nuggets first round dikembe mutombo is laying on the ground with the ball you know smiling ear to ear if they win that game would they have become the champions because michael jordan the bulls were not were not jordan was gone right he took his first retirement yeah which actually makes me realize this was 94 94. 92 was actually my favorite Sonics team ever, uh, but it was actually 94. 94. That okay. That happened because 94 and 95 were the Houston championships. Got it. And then the Got, Bulls yeah. won 96, 97, 98. Yeah. Um, yep. So yeah. So it was it was like spring of 1994 was uh, was the real heartbreak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think they were the best team in the NBA by far, and I think they yeah. would have had no problem. You know, they'd been dominating Houston for years at that point, and it would have been another cakewalk. They yeah. couldn't get past Dikembe. Dikembe. He's choked, man. Yeah, him and, his, him and his finger wagging. His, his <laughs> wagging finger. Yeah, I remember we were at, it was a friend's birthday party sleepover. We're all watching it. And we're like, we forgot, because I don't know, we just forgot that there wasn't a game six and seven. And we're like, what? <laughs> How can couple, this be over? Yeah, a couple of us crying and stuff. Anyways, that was crazy. Oh, yeah. that, <laughs> so that reminds me of my uh, my Super Bowl party at my own apartment in New York in 2006. Uh, oh, Seahawks God. against the Steelers. That was and brutal. We had a lot of people over, and you know, may have had a few drinks. I'm not sure, but I think I ended up basically just like throwing silverware against the wall for like 10 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. They should have won that one. Uh, well, Corey, uh, I love if you uh, left our listeners with a question. It's, it's one thing we like to do is what's a question that you want to ask our listeners that they can kind of think about uh, as they go about their day? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, okay. So let's say that Bitcoin does what, you know, a few hundred thousand of the smartest people in the world think it's going to do. And you're looking back on listening to this podcast, uh, you know, in May of 2020, and it's now like 2025, and you look back on this, are you going to be comfortable with the decision that you've made? Because it is a decision whether to get involved or not get involved. Mm-hmm. And by get involved, that means just, you know, starting to listen to Tales from the Crypt or Stefan Lever or checking out Swan Bitcoin and seeing what we offer and checking out our education section or whatever it is. Are you going to be comfortable not having taken that step and, you know, and, and at least checking it out and making a, a more informed decision for yourself. 
I like that. I think that's a, that's a great reflection question for people today. Um, yeah. The, the actions that you take today, you know, people say stuff like, Oh, I could have bought Microsoft stock at this, or I could have bought Facebook stock at that. And it's like, you know, th there, there's definitely something there. So anyways, well, Corey, thank you so much. I'm glad we had a chance to meet reminisce on Seattle and, and talk Bitcoin. I mean, like that's, that's my kind of, my kind of day. So uh, yeah. we'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah, it was great. Do you ever talk to uh, Matt Case at KJR? He's I, do. Seattle. Yeah, I do. I do. We, we yeah. chat a bit as well. Yeah. seems like a good dude. Yeah. He's, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. He, we've done a couple of fun things together. So yeah. nice. Um, All right. Well, thanks for having me on, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, yeah. Everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the TF Podcast. Uh, please make sure that you are subscribed uh, on your favorite podcast as well as on uh, YouTube and Twitter. Uh, you can find me at, at JG Product, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot.